0: Hello and welcome to the preview, previewing Celtic's trip to Fir Park to take on Motherwell as we are... Wrapping up this first part of the season with the second last game before we play Ross County on Saturday Uh, I'm Christopher Gallagher and we have as always the preview is cut into three sections We'll start with uh, the tactics talk with Christian Wolf As we look at how Motherwell are going to set up and how Celtic can beat them We'll then go to the press conference analysis with our good friend Callum Gordon And we'll finish with myself and Callum uh, picking our teams and looking ahead to the game with some predictions So without further ado, let's start with tactics talk talk it's time for tactics talk with uh, our good friend christian wolf hello christian how are you
1: hello i'm well christopher as we just said yeah, i have a sick child at home so you know you have that but other than that you know, it's we've done some tactics, we're ready to talk about it, so it's it's tactics talk.
0: Tactics so, talk. Uh yeah. Celtic going to Fir Park to take on Motherwell. Um the last time we were there obviously it was a pretty convincing win with uh, a few hairy moments, but that was all down to Jens. Um but let's <laughs> I feel like he's the he's the punching
1: bag just now. But um it's not my punching bag, that's somebody else.
0: Yeah. But. Um What's your thoughts going into this game? I know you've got some kind of overall thoughts on the on tactics and stuff, but what's your thoughts going into this game? Is this a good game to go into?
1: I don't know. Um, and I think that's based on what I've seen of Motherwell before and what I've done in prep for this game. Is that it's that Motherwell's a funny one in that if they get their system correct on the night... I think they can cause the issues. But on the other side, uh, if they don't get those tactics, right? And I think for a large park against Celtic, they haven't so far. It could be a really fun night with lots of spaces. So it's, it's kind of... Uh, uh, we'll come on to talk about it, but I think overall, Motherwell away is a challenge, but maybe a good challenge. It's not like a Samir way challenge. It's a different kind of challenge. So I think on the back of, you know, having played a lot more aggressive teams in Europe, not comparing Modwell to some of the teams that so they have played in Europe, but it's a different kind of challenge, I think, than just facing, you know, the the orange wall of uh, Dundee United, for example.
0: Um, has there been a big deal? Obviously, they've had a, a number of, of um kind of changes throughout this season in regards to um managerial positions. Um obviously Graham Alexander at the start had some horrendous results in Europe um and then Stevie hamill's come in. Has there been much of a difference uh between you know styles of play and and how they kind of set up 'cause it doesn't really seem like there has.
1: No, I to be honest Hamill come in so most of the season is is Steve Hamill, and then Maybe it's my age. I can't remember that much how played last season, even though I've watched them several times. But I think under the Hamilton they have a very distinctive style, yes. And I think they're trying to do something that most other teams in the Premiership are not. So, yeah, I think, and based on what I do remember from Alexander's team, I think this is a team that is trying to do something different. And they're in the process, well, as they're in the middle of the process of doing that. There's a lot of things they're not getting right yet. But there's also things that are really interesting and they are getting right. So, uh, yeah, it's an interesting matchup.
0: Yeah. Um, what are they getting right?
1: Well, let me... Uh, it's, uh, so, here's I bring the stats, I bring the tactics. Yes. Today, I've done some... Uh, I've been speaking to somebody uh, within, uh, you know, who's quite close to Model in terms of being an analyst as well. So, you have got three parts to this. Well, let's start with the stats. Beautiful. Because you know, you know that there's, there's one league table. And that has Motherwell ninth. But that table is always lying. Usually, sometimes it's lying. Um so we have to look at the real table. An expected points table. An expected points table. Uh alas Stephen Russell's expected points table. Motherwell is third. Jeez. In the table. Ooh. So they have they have played one game more than say Hibbs, and that also counts for something in the uh, expected points table. So Hibs will probably go past them. Uh once they play their game in hand. But yeah, so on the line performances just from that is you know this is a team that's doing something else that is better than ninth. If you look at our like xG different based on you know our in stat data, chances conceded, chances created, and the quality of those again, Motherwell are fourth. So, so I think that's you look at the stats. You know, that's the headline one. Ooh, okay, here's a team that's performances looks like they're better than the results so far. So so what's happening? What's happening, Christopher? In the stats, let's. Dive into them. Uh, I, I, I actually did the diving motion there as well. I don't <laughs> you know why. Um, so we tried to break it down. Offensively, Motherwell are doing well. You know, XG created the sixth in terms of the shots taken, the fifth in terms of getting into the final third, in control of the ball opponents' final third, opponents' penalty box to ball fifth. So, you know, so you know roughly where they are in terms of. Underlying performances. Defensive is, I think, also interesting as well because they've conceded the fourth fewest shots against, but they had the eight highest XG conceded against. So they don't concede too many chances, but the chances they concede are high. If you you know if you have a quick look at the shot map, for example, you can kind of see that because they've conceded six goals within their own five-yard five box, and about a cluster of five six other goals are just outside your six-yard box in the middle. So, don't concede too much, but when they do concede, it's bad. It's pretty it's pretty big chances, and I think we kind of come back to why later on as well. So, but in terms of just denying teams coming into their territory in possession of the ball again. Final third, fourth fewest you know allowed entries from their opponents. Same with the penalty box, four lower. So, to, once they're broken, they're broken properly. But usually, that you know they, they keep teams away on shots. It, I mean, all stats are interesting, uh, Christopher, as you know. But every single part of the model is kind of breakdown in stats here, like because we do offensive, defensive, offensive, defensive uh, possession and pressing. Possession stats I find interesting as well, and, and they, they're a good clue to what I think what they're trying to do. So they have the fifth most passes, but they had the, just the eighth highest pass accuracy rate. Right? They also have the fifth highest possession in games, but they have the eighth highest or eight shortest, I should say, eighth sh- shortest seconds per possession. So that tells you that they have the ball quite a bit, but when they do have the ball, they're pretty direct with it. Yeah, so it's an interesting combination in Premiership because usually it's one or the other. Like you have the ball, you have lots of passes, but you take your time on the ball, like Celtic and Rangers, maybe Hibs as well, Aberdeen sometimes. Or usually you don't have the ball much. And when you do have it, you just, you know, uh, you get rid of it quite quickly. But whereas Motherwell's slightly in between on both. But the big one, I've said the big one to last pressing Motherwell. A pressing team. No, I could, you know. Um So, in terms of winning possession back in opponent's half, Motherwell's first in the league. Jeez. They win the ball back in the opponent's half, more than Celtic, more than Rangers, more than anybody else. Um In terms of, you know, how often they press, in terms of how, you know, if you divide their opponent's possession time based on how often Motherwell press, it's kind of like an intensive thing. Second. Right, and just per possession, Motherwell allow the fourth least seconds per opponent. So, really interesting stat in terms of doing well offensively, defensively. But they have a lot of passes, but they're also quite direct, and they press a lot. So, based on all that, I think you look at him before you get into the tactics. Stephen Hamill is, is trying to do something differently. And speaking to you know, the person I like around Motherwell. He very much says that as well that the manager wants to be aggressive and gets his players to play on the front foot. The issue so far getting the players, all of them, to be playing that way for 90 minutes and not kind of fall back into it. So, yeah, it's interesting things happening here.
0: Is there, a th- is there a thing to be said about, uh, you know, Stephen Hamill clearly has, you know, maybe ideas, maybe some interesting ideas that are maybe it's going to be hard for players of the caliber of Motherwell? to kind of carry out is there something to be said that you look at what you've got and you kind of just
1: you, you settle Is you, that what he's you, saying yeah no you just stop you, a breaker of you know tactical dreams here christopher Gallagher.
0: well yeah I mean, I mean like if you look at if you look at the squad you've got you're you not you're not better to utilize a squad with a specific style that's going to suit them than to try and have ideas above what this squad can actually fulfill. And I don't mean that disrespectfully. I like the idea of, you know, Stephen Hamill having these ideas. But if your players can't fulfill the ideology that you're trying to push, that's probably eventually going to cost you, no?
1: That is the interesting part as well, talking to, you know, um, the analysts close to Motherwell. I think they are aware of that within the team, that they need everyone up to speed with this and to have it ingrained on them, to have, you know, to play on the front foot, to play aggressively into players that maybe haven't done it at some points. So I think that's something that they're consciously trying to change. But as you say, that that takes time. So I think this is, you know, they obviously made a, it's not a direct parallel to what Ash was trying to do, but Ash comes in and he says, I'm going to play my style no matter what. And obviously Celtics player our individual higher quality so that, in a sense, makes it easier. But it's still a process of adapting that and getting used to that. I think that's something that Modules doing now, but they're not there yet. And I think you see that in certain games, that it is it is a process. It's things that's not working. There's maybe quite a few of those players who are not the perfect fit for it. But then again, you can, you can argue that, well, you just have to then trust the process you know need to have one two three transfer windows so you need the players to get used to that and at the end of say a year 18 months two years then you can evaluate that so and um, I, I think it has caused some issues for mudworld trying to play this way and we can break some of those down but it's also that that sense of at least to working towards something you know and at least it, it's slightly more ambitious slightly more different than what we see from most teams in in the Premiership that are happy to get into top sites.
0: I mean that what's happening at Motherwell, <clears throat> as you say, you know, taking time to implement the, the stylistically, having trying to have a defined style. That's what Aberdeen should be doing. That's what Hibbs should be doing. Mm-hmm. That should, and they're they're just specifically a team like Hearts who just seem to be really horrible to watch. And I know, I know we're kind of going off the main. Point, but and we'll come back to it. But I just think about someone like Hearts, and I just think there's so much potential there for that football club, genuinely the third biggest club in Scotland, the team that consistently should be finishing third. And they're just horrendous. <laughs> you just hate them as well, I which do. is fine. I do no, really hate good. them,
1: yeah. But well, you know, that is, just, it, 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 I think you, you need to have that ambition at Hearts, at Hebs against uh, in Aberdeen, and, and stick with it as well. And it's one is like You have to try to find The the right person And then build the right structure Around them To, to lead that But also you See how often That's drawn away as well In terms of those clubs They're, they're very trigger happy Maybe not as much hearts, but Hips and In terms of you know They change managers Very quickly now It, it seems So uh, maybe At Modwell You're slightly more Under the radar And see if you don't Make top six Playing as well it's, You know It's not the end of the world As long as you're not Get relegated You know It's it's fine maybe you'll have those two seasons to to trial and fail a bit more
0: yeah absolutely how are they going to set up tomorrow against celtic well
1: so this it's always the third game against motherwell over a month and i think you've you see a slight change from that now at home you know the they very much had a setting up with one striker in front then the three more attacking midfielders like the two on the sides and one behind the two central midfielders and four at the back and I thought in that game I thought actually Celtic were pretty good in the Motherwell game in terms of creating chances and I think they did that because Celtic were kind of allowed within Motherwell's against Motherwell's formation to kind of create very often situation on each side three against three so Motherwell's attacking trailer as Cornelius in this game, it's probably be Spittle um, tomorrow, sat on Celtics number six, which is McGregor. So you had one of the central midfielders, the fullback and the winger, teaming up against Celtics winger, fullback, and then one of the number eights. But because uh, Motherwell always plays a back four, and they have two central midfielders, uh, rather than three in that, so they keep... So there was... Space out wide. So it was those three against three, but one of the center backs didn't really push out against the fullback. And obviously, with, if one of the center midfielders push out wide to kind of cover, say, Hatate, is on the left, the other center midfielder stays centrally. So, so there's space there. And so uh, I think the way Motherwell was trying to do this, uh, okay, it's closer result than that, but I think Celtic had the capability to kind of two against three create those chances you know, in the review yesterday, we talked about how Dundee United was very keen on putting four players against that Celtic tree. And they could do that to a larger degree because they had the wing back and then a centre back that pushed out. And then they pushed, you know, their two central midfielder over as well. So they kind of had that square of four against Celtic three. In this game, there was a lot more three against three. So then you go like, okay, um, the League Cup and <laughs> Again, I think it's more, slightly the same, again, uh, I think from Motherwell in terms of that press. So it's like one in front that sometimes turns into three, then you have the attacking midfielder behind, and then the two central midfielders as well. And I've sent you some examples there in terms of, from that game specifically, like example number two we have, is that that front press was quite narrow. And again the attacking midfielder this time Spittle sat on Celtic's number six, which is Matt O'Reilly this time. And what happens is because Motherwell's front press is quite high. It's higher than most teams you you expect, you know, outside of ranges to to face in the premiership. And those front three was quite even the front four was quite narrow, quite aggressive. So what happened a couple of times I've shown you here. If Celtic played the ball out wide quite quickly. They can then switch it back inwards again quickly again, and because um, Celtic could pretty easily bypass this Motherwell's front four quickly, one of the cent- centre midfielders jump out on the left hand side. There was so much space in the middle again, so Celtic could play a right, play in the middle. There was so much space, and this is you know example number three I've said I sent you as well. Again, you, you can see how the front three. So you had Kevin Van Der Veen on, on top of that, and then the front tree quite high up, and you have Spittal sitting on O'Reilly, yeah. and then you got the two wingers sitting on the fullbacks. And what that did, if Celtic sent it out wide quite quickly to the winger, because nobody in reading that front four, you know, the wingers that attacked me from Van Veen, they're so high up, but they don't really fall quickly to cover the space in the middle. So it's something like this thing where they can just play out wide and play back in the middle. Huge spaces. Yeah. You know, and okay, somebody sits on O'Reilly, but if you are Hatati, for example, and Moy and I came sitting two against two in that huge space in the middle, you know, you can bring your opposite winger in, you know, you can bring your opposite number eight. In. There's just so much space behind that press. So I think that's the kind of first example where see when we're talking about this, this press is wasn't really working against Celtic. You know, it talked about they want to play a certain high press and, and maybe don't have the players to do that. Now, the other example I've shown you from this game for us, again, you can see how high model's press is there. You know, the, the right, you know, Celtics been playing out from the back. Celtics two center backs are within the 16 yard box and I think it is the right winger who's right up on Jens. And then you have you know, Van der Veen in the middle. And then you have Spittle coming behind that as well. So, it's like, four players in pressing in Celtic's final third. This is really kind of unheard of in the premiership, other outside trenches. But even that, you have the centre-back Slattery who, remember, there's just two central midfielders behind that front four. When the ball goes into O'Reilly in the number six behind the, the forward line, he gambles that the ball's going to go out to Greg Taylor. And you go, that that's a bit mad, right? He gets attracted to Greg Taylor. And what O'Reilly does, because he's an excellent footballer, he turns and he plays, you know, he plays the ball behind the line. He splits the line into Hattite. Yeah. And, and because... Slattery has gone all the way to, to push on Greg Taylor as a central midfielder. And and then uh, Goss, the other central midfielder, comes over on Hatate. He, he, look, look at it. I showed you the space here as well. There's a huge gap in the middle. Massive of the pitch. Because the, the front was front four is pressing really high. But Celtic's got two good ball breaking passes you know, after each other. And suddenly, because none of the front four has dropped down, because the the middle two is all the way over on the Celtics' left. Huge spaces there. It's quite funny because Atate actually, you know, he beats his man and then you can ping out a simple ball to the middle of the pitch, but he pings it diagonally to the the other side. But again and again, and I'm speaking to like the model analyst as well, and he's saying this happens. The midfield can have a pretty big gap because Slattery and, and Goss they want to play on that front foot, they want to be aggressive, and they kind of suit that style, but they don't really have the distinctive nature to defend. Yeah. So again, so so, so those players like you maybe want to the front press, but also it's like like they, they almost forget to defend and they get pulled out of position. And then it's the spaces that Mother were left with this press was in the league cup was huge.
0: And that obviously led to us getting in behind and you know, a Abada scoring those goals and, and Kyogo having those opportunities. Um this this form? Why do why do more teams in Scotland not do it? Is it just because if it gets exploited by Celtic, get in trouble?
1: That's that's it. You know that's. It, it, but and but as you see the style reflected in the stats, because it's, it's, they do this against pretty much all the teams. So there's a reason why they win possession in op- opponents have more than other team because they are so aggressive, and it's a reason that I think they stopped the opposition from getting into their final third so much because they are that aggressive. They don't let them come. But if you remember the actual chances, they conceded, they're not many, but they're high and you can see why, because once you get past the press, then there's lots of space, you know, we'll get to the hearts game, but there's a couple of instances, they were hearts like huge chances because of this as well. So I think there is that. And, it's a lot of safety first culture. I think when you're coaching a team within the lower ranks of the premiership, even maybe a bit higher, maybe, you know, team star fifth and sixth as well, because if you try something that's a bit different than fail, that's seen as almost worse than just trying the same standard things and failing. Cause it's like, well, at least then you, you know, you weren't naive. You didn't gamble. You weren't too ambitious and you, know, you kind of knew your place. So, it, that, that's maybe why this isn't tried as much because if it doesn't work and because Modwell is in the process of trying to implement this, there will be occasions, quite a few occasions, where it doesn't work it is working in a sense that you, you know the underlying performances are so good and they, they are creating issues for their opponents but when you come up a team, a team against Celtic, you know you, you will be, it's it's an, almost like a parallel to Celtic in the Champions League. in the Champions League now, where Celtic will get away with certain things domestically when they're huge press, high press, but they won't in the Champions League. I think that's sense with Motherwell as well that you know, they'll get away with a lot of this against some teams, but they didn't against Celtic. And they also didn't against Hearts in the last game. So.
0: Yeah, well, the Hearts game an interesting one because <laughs> Hearts went down to 10 men. Um, mm-hmm. Well, actually, they probably should have been down to nine because that attack from Gordon's pretty outrageous. But... Um, what happened in the, the the Hearts game that, you know, how could they not
1: beat Hearts, essentially? Talk about somebody you don't like, Craig Gordon. you will be mentioned Hearts and Craig Gordon there. So, that's, that's good. Um, so, <laughs> I, I think what what happens against Hearts is interesting because there is a slight change in formation against Hearts. So, going from a 4 a 3 one it's a bit more of a Four tree tree, which was that like the, the analyst I spoke to spoke to it as well. And it was, it was Blair Spittal who was usually attacking midfielder. He would usually fall into the middle tree uh, as a central midfielder, so more a, a four tree tree. But even so, Spittal is, is, is still very aggressive. He's He still runs up at defenders in the press. But I, you can see in example five, I sent to you, he falls down beside the two center midfielders. Um, more often, so you had that issue before, where if you go past the front four, you only had the two central midfielder to cover the whole pitch, and if they got dragged over to one side, voila, you got space. So he, you saw Spittle, especially defensively, falling back into a midfield tree. So at least you have that the coverage a bit more. And uh, Spittle is some, somebody you know internally, multiple they, they really like because they like his ability to play in multiple positions like his kind of game intelligence, so he he's almost got a, a free role at times, not because to see he's got the ability to play the positions, but also like the distinct kind of know where he needs to drop and, and do that, so it be interesting to see if that's kind of replicated, that it's not, you know, that front forward pressing, despite all, might drop deeper a bit more and be a bit more defensively solid, but uh, I mean, again, there is the, the other thing, well, we'll get back to Kevin van der Wren, I think, but <laughs> That's an interesting one. But the other thing with Mudwell, so they do have this aggressive front press, but their defensive line is also sometimes very high. You know, example six I've sent to is like essentially it's they have the ball about twenty yards ten, twenty yards into their own half, uh, just below the, the center circle. And I've shown you the picture from from behind the goal one of the replays is yeah. you see how high the center backs that was Motherwell's center backs is standing what five-ten yards below the center circle in their half while Hearts have the ball unpressured five, ten yards in front of the center circle in their half. So that that's a really high line. And you you see you know what happens as well, like the you know the ball comes over and because the defensive line is <laughs> But wonky. I mean the, the left back penny is, is hanging off the the right back is way is high and so it's setting a high line but even not setting it properly and yeah. that's maybe that comes back to you know players some of the players trying to push up but then the left back goes oh no and then what happens is Hart's shankland has an enormous chance uh, from this uh, it's actually a good send for the goalkeeper. So again they suit, they put the defensive line high line so high if you don't know how to have the pressure, and if you if you don't have the discipline in back four, you you can be undone by one long ball, which we hard to almost do here. So again, it's that kind of kind of trying to because in a way, if, if you want to press high, what we talked about with Celtic as well, you do want your centre backs to push up. You want them to be brave then, but then you still then need pressure on the ball, you know, the, the opponent that has the ball, so they can't easily pick a long pass. And you also need your for full defensive line to actually stay in line, and and be aware and, and and have the discipline around that. So again, it's maybe a working process, but it's it's a gamble because, especially the centre back Lamy, he he also jumps out a lot into the midfield and gets pulled out a lot. Um, the other centre back yeah, Johansson is actually Norwegian, so obviously he's a bit better. So uh, there's that. <laughs> so, um, so kind of the last example I sent you as well is the, the, the kind of difference I saw in the Hearts game is that whereas before I've seen Kim and Van Van being like the, the first person to press. So you have him and then the three others come behind him. <laughs> in this game, it's like those front trees. so Spittle jumped up with the two wingers as well. They were like pressing in front of Van Van. <laughs> it was almost like, I mean, because he, he is a better... So like you know, he's but he's. I think they kind of see that he's not the greatest pressure fan. I mean. So it's almost like he's been told to stay slightly behind, but the other the other tree up behind him goes ahead of him, and he kind of stays a little bit back. Um. So again, you know, example seven I sent to you. You can say this. I don't know how that works, Uh because once the ball went past the front tree, which it did quite easily. You know, Van Rijn was quite static in the middle. And then again, the centre midfielder Goss jumps out because he jumps right up, but he's aggressive. And again, you see the last screenshot I'll show you, the ball go out wide, but look at the space in the middle for Harts again. You know, in terms of it, it, once Bittle moved high enough up, Van Veen stayed a bit back, the centre midfielder gets pulled out. You go a bit wide, suddenly Hearts got lots of runners in the middle in huge spaces. So again, it's not... It's, you can applaud their ambition, and it, it is a working process. But even against Hearts, Hearts played through these press quite easily at times, and that's the thing with these kind of things. Unless you do it properly, unless you make those kind of split session decisions more correctly a lot more times than you don't, you're going to be in trouble. Uh, and there were.
0: Um, so see on in, in regards to how we beat them, um, is it? Rotations is it about dragging people out of position? Is it about maybe scoring early and maybe make them doubt their bravery in regards to sticking to it? Is that what you'd like to see?
1: Yeah, and it seemed to me speaking to the an analyst that they, obviously he doesn't decide, but he wasn't one hundred percent sure that they will sit in, and it's you know that's not the way the manager wants to play. So I think I think they will be pretty aggressive. And I think they will be kind of focused on the discipline and these kind of pressing things, what you need to do. I reckon they'll sit a bit lower as well. And I reckon somebody like Spittal will probably fall further behind and try to create a tree in the midfield. But it, it would be a surprise if they camp out in their own box. I don't think they'll do that. So so what you're saying, there, like that should suit Celtic. I mean, they, they need to be switched on because if Motherwell is doing the press correctly, you won't have that much time on you, you know, playing the ball out. So you have to be careful you're not caught out in this, you know, when you try to play up through the sixth, the number eight, try to hit the fullbacks, because if this press works, like you can put Celtic under a lot of pressure and you can you can force them backwards and force them long and force them out to a rhythm. But if it doesn't work as Celtic did in the League Cup as they did, I think to a large degree at home as well. They're gonna rip you apart. Because once you give Celtics player that space, or even the space to be two on two and three on three, if they just keep doing, as you say, the rotations, the the overloads on the sides, you know, probing and uh, keeping the wingers that wide, you're creating those spaces. Uh, you know, you have the possibility of, you know, really, really hurting Model like the like they've done before.
0: Final thoughts on it? Uh, final thoughts on the game, maybe protection?
1: Um, so yeah, it's uh, interesting in terms of how Motherwell was set up and how that will affect, you know, Celtics play. I do don't want to put, you know lineup wise. I don't think it's going to be many surprises uh, for that. But he, I think you need players that brave on the ball because even through that high press, that you know you have the ability to, to exploit that. So. And then from Motherwell's side, uh, I think there's discussion, do you play Van Veen or at least Moult uh, as, as well? Uh, because I think Moult has maybe a bit more of a physical edge, you know, set-piece presence uh, speaking around us. It would be interesting to see how Motherwell kind of, if they play Van Vien, uh or not. But I, I, overall, I don't think Motherwell's, maybe this is famous last words, but from what I've seen of them, what they're trying to do is is laudable and ambitious, and I like it, but I don't think it's there yet to, to trouble Celtic. I think it's more chance that you know Celtic will exploit it as they have done before.
0: Lovely stuff, Cash and Wolf. We will speak to you later on in the week. Uh, take care, sir. Joining me now in the press room is Callum Gordon. Hello, Callum. How are you?
2: I'm really good, mate. Thank you very much for having me.
0: Of course, lovely stuff. Uh, we were just talking off air about you've recently been to Japan. Fantastic time.
2: Yes, aye. Therefore, went on the Monday, got back on the Saturday, was there for a work thing that turned into a bit, a bit of a jolly, but it was good. Um, aye, people were lovely, really welcoming, loved a drink, um, so which definitely helps when you're in a country by yourself and don't know anyone. Um, aye, really, really nice, nice place. Um, absolutely. Absolutely loved it. I'm desperate to go back so hopefully book up a trip for next year or something like that. But um aye, it was absolutely incredible whirlwind sort of four days there with very little sleep, but loved it. Great
0: stuff. Uh, you can maybe go next year when Igucchi's back playing in the, playing in Japan. I've just, <laughs> just just turned on Gucci for absolutely no reason whatsoever, but there we go. Um, so, we've got this game uh, against uh, Motherwell um, at uh, Far Park. Uh, there was a press conference and taking questions, as always, from the press. We've kind of broken it down into seven clips. Um, there was a lot of stuff about Moy being called up to the World Cup squad and there was a lot of stuff about... Um, I think there was one question about Australia having ten Scottish-based players and the question was around the, along the lines of "That's good, isn't it?" <laughs> and Angie's answer was, "Aye, it's not bad. Aye, it's all right." So
2: <laughs> it won't be so good when they go out the group on zero points, having got absolutely battled in every game with Jason Cummings up front. But uh, apart ca- from that,
0: ca- can I just say, Jason Cummings uh, being in your interna- international squad? I don't give a fuck if you've qualified for the World Cup. Just fold, um, right. horrendous, Shut it all down. horrendous player. Uh, overall, um, but great stuff in regards to Angie's answers. We'll get straight to them. Let's say uh, let's start. So the first one is about just getting to the break and uh, you know get to the break with uh, as many points as we can. How much are you looking forward to just getting to this World Cup break in a, in a good position with your squad looking good?
3: Yeah, look, I still obviously got two games to go. Um, starting tomorrow, um, you know I obviously Motherwell and. Uh, I think we've had a, you know, really solid block of games. Um, we kind of knew this period would be critical because of the, just the amount of games that not just us, but everyone has. And, um, you know, uh, obviously, Champions League results aside, our performances have been, you know, really strong through that. And, um, you know, our league form has been excellent. So, yeah, need to finish it off, though. That's the important thing. We need to get, uh, you know, through the next two games nice and strong, Yeah. You know, continuing to play good football and then uh, gives us a chance to to sort of set ourselves up for, for the rest of the season.
0: Hey, Callum, we've got uh, Motherwell on Wednesday and we've got Ross County on Saturday and then that's the break. How impressive do you think it'll be if we get to essentially this first section of the season done with only one defeat, essentially just three points dropped? That's pretty impressive, no?
2: Yeah, I mean, we still still need to go out there and do the hard work, obviously, but... It's been a compare, compare it to to last season and how big a gap we had to claw back and how much of you know a big task we really gave ourselves um, this year. It feels like a lot more a comfortable position, um, especially with with what happened at the weekend. So no, it's it's been as as good as you could expect domestically. Um, we've played some great stuff. We've shown those moments of resilience as well. That's really really important to sort of. Building that feeling that you're working towards something and eventually winning the title and those kind of moments that you look back on, like at the weekend um, when you hopefully lift that trophy. Um, but now it is just about getting it over the line and you know allowing some players to, to rest and some players to come back. Cal obviously a big one, huge, uh, and then going again Um, but yeah the the level of consistency that this team has shown has been remarkable especially when you've had really tough Champions League games um, you know six of them in a very congested sort of time period more so than usual Uh, and those can often be the games where teams you know slip up off the off the back of that Um, so if we can get these next two games over the line I think it's been uh, pretty much as good as as good as you could expect for the first half of the season.
0: Uh, let me ask you this, and this is a bit of a—it's obviously hypothetical—but you know, you mentioned earlier that the Champions League it's been a lot more condensed the first section of the season because of uh, the the World Cup. See if we had—I mean, I think what the usual last games usually in December. It's usually kind of first first or second week in December. See if we had, had had more time in between. Do you think we would have had a better chance of qualifying? And I know that's very much a hypothetical, but what's your thoughts?
2: It would have probably led to. <sighs> some fewer injuries. Uh, I think, you know, there's very few lineups you could point to that we field in the Champions League and think that's close to our starting, you know, best starting eleven. You know, Starfelt, I think, was an absolutely massive miss. I think the the step down that Jens is from him is is fairly significant at that level. And I think he even had a couple of decent games, but I think overall, you know, Starfelt offers you much more stability in there. Cal was missed massively, you know, thought Matt O'Reilly did a decent job. Uh, playing that six role in certain games, but, you know, you can tell it's not not as 40. Uh, and even though he acquitted himself well, you know, you then miss him further up the park yeah. and you're having to play players like Aaron Moy, who, as much as I think he's been okay domestically, I think he's been found wanting a little bit when that, you know, the pace definitely steps up at that level and we've struggled. But... Overall, I don't know if it would have made too much difference. Um, you know, it still wouldn't have fixed our chances, of you know, fixed our problems of not finishing chances in front of goal. Um, I feel like it was maybe just a step too far too early this year. Um, I don't know how much, you know, an extra couple of weeks would have would have impacted it, but... It certainly wouldn't have hurt if you could have had some some of your better players available. Um, I'm sure Ange would agree with that.
0: Yeah, I think that recovery time I think is is kind of key. And yeah, I I probably wouldn't have made <clears throat> excuse me probably wouldn't have made that much of a difference in regard to qualification. But you know, you like to hope, you like to think. Um, second uh, uh, question from the press conference uh, just about the influence uh, of the World Cup and if it's going to affect team news. On that note, do you start to does it start to influence your your own selection that you know that. Players are going to definitely go into the World Cup. Um, you know the, what's at stake for them, and and what the kind of workload is going to be like for them as well.
3: No, not really. I think um, our main focus is still sort of us, and and you know um, we've sort of tried to you know maintain a, a level of performance by making sure we don't overburden any players, and um, for the most part we've done that. There's probably you know there's there's two or three that probably have. We've played more than others, but um, for the most part we've <coughs> rotated the squad with performance in mind and it's no different these last two games. You know, we'll I'll we'll pick a team that I think will will get the job done for us and give us the best chance of success and, and then do the same thing on the weekend and then um, you know, you obviously hope that the guys who are going away um, come through unscathed, but yeah, you know, it's one of these things in football you can try and, you know, protect players or protect um, them from sort of anything happening, but you know something could happen in the first training session with their country. So uh, you know I think it's better we just you know go things uh, go go about business as normal as possible. And uh, as I said, um, yeah, even for the players themselves who are going, they'd much rather go having played a you know, played football, you know, feeling good about themselves than sort of going a couple of weeks without playing.
0: I love the idea of like you know you you've got this question right, and you know that he. You know that you know the, w- the way the question's going to go, right? So, but y- elongate it, you make it a little bit longer, make him give give him some time to think, and his answer still nah doesn't really <laughs> affect us, mate. Do you know what I mean? Um, just I mean, obviously he's going to pick the Celtic players based on form, and as he said, he's he's just going to focus on on us for these two games. Um, with the players that have been called up, are you surprised Kyogo wasn't called up? Um, we've not really touched up on that as much because ultimately, it really doesn't affect Celtic that much, but. You surprised Kiyogo and Hitati haven't been called up to the Japanese squad?
2: Um, Hitati less so because I guess he hasn't really figured that much under Ismoriasu uh and so, or you know, the qualifying campaign. Um so I wasn't surprised by that, but I don't understand how any international manager looks at that some of the performances Hitati has put in or moments that he's had in the you know in the Champions League. I thought he was fantastic against Real Madrid, and yeah. think that's not a player I can do something with. And you know, especially tournament football, which so often comes down to moments. And Rio Hitati, while there's questions of whether he can do it consistently over ninety minutes, there's you know undeniable quality there that, and bursts that he can offer, just about any side. Um, Kyogo is a strange one because he's obviously been involved in pretty much every squad leading up to this. Um, And it doesn't seem like the attackers that they've picked in favour of him are necessarily players that are in bang-in form or anything like that. It's it's really odd. I felt I was gutted for Kyogo because, you know, you want players to come here and flourish and, and therefore that be reflected in them being called up to their international teams as much as I've no real love for international football. Uh, and it's a pain in the arse most of the time and an inconvenience. You want them to feel like they can progress at Celtic as a footballer at at Celtic. Um, and decisions like that are sort of you know do stick in the back of your mind when you think, well, will he look to move on? Um, you know he's twenty eight now. Um, he's probably maybe only got you know three three four years left in him at the top top level uh, as a striker that largely relies on his pace and his movement um so it's, i i was really gutted for a minute and i was delighted that the weekend he, he got his goal and he, he looked bright when he came on and it didn't seem to uh, affect him too much but again i don't understand why you know you wouldn't have a player like you frashy in your team um you know especially when you look at the quality of japan's team overall it's it's far from spectacular you know it's not like he's you know a brazilian and he's struggling to get into that team you would think um that Kyogo would be a stick on. But um a really strange one. A really strange one also that he's, you know, opted for Maida instead. I you know he gives you that energy, uh, and that pressing. But um very, very, very odd. But I do from the little that I've read about the Japanese team, it seems like he's a bit of an odd manager, sort of the Japanese Gordon Strachan, sort <laughs> the sort of the feel that I've got from it. Um so maybe it's maybe it's just a case of the manager being a bit
0: Weird. Um. See, on Kyogo, do you think you, you mentioned there uh, the point about how long he maybe has? uh you know, he's only twenty eight, but at the same time, you know how quickly things can turn in regards to you know whether you are seen as a, a top target, specifically in like England and stuff. Do you think that? Um, do you think that this season's? I don't want to use the phrase damaged his reputation, but he started so hot here, and he was really just. Something really, really special, um, and not to say that he isn't now, because every player dips in form, and you know everyone's, you know, a human being, right? But do you think that potentially his his lack of consistency this season, if you want to call it that, has maybe maybe teams that might have been looking at him after the kind of hot hand of last season might go, ah, oh, maybe, maybe we'll leave it.
2: Potentially, I I think. Um... I think he struggled a bit in the Champions League and yeah. I think a lot of it was the almost a mentality thing uh, of the pressure seeming too great or whatever because he was snatching at chances, not taking them like he would last season. And even though Kyogo misses a lot of chances, even, even domestically, um, he just didn't quite look the same player. Um, and I thought he was ready to take the step up this season because I thought in Europe last season he was really good um, you know, against Alkmaar, I thought he was instrumental when I was going through, which was a really tough tie uh, and really set up our season to be. You know, I mean, it could have been a disaster had we gone out at that stage. Yeah. Um, and I thought he was good against Farros and yeah, even Leverkusen away. Um, so I was surprised that he didn't kick on. But sometimes it, things don't, just don't pan out for you. I don't doubt that he's got you know plenty of quality and you know players will you know teams will look at him. Uh, and his form over a longer period of time, and still think there's something there to to work with, but um, it just hasn't quite worked out for him um, this season in the same way. He's, you know, he's still been scoring at a very good rate, but there's you know so many of his goals, especially in that first part of the season, where he was really prolific. You know, they were six-yard tap-ins. Um, and it wasn't quite the same player that you noticed from last year when he came in and really revitalised the squad and was popping up in different areas of the park. It feels like his role had maybe been simplified a little bit, uh, and I don't know if that was to try and make him more effective, but you just didn't have the the same feeling that it was the the key goal of of last year. Yeah, I I
0: couldn't agree more, and hopefully... No, this might make him stay at Celtic a little bit longer, um, which can only be a, a positive thing for us. Um, let's find out who's available uh, for the game against Motherwell. I just asked uh, your team news. Is it just Callum that's out for tomorrow?
3: Yeah, everyone else is okay. Um, actually, James McCarthy, um, unfortunately, um, you know, picked up a hamstring injury at training um, a couple of days ago, which will mean he'll, he'll miss out... Um, it's quite a significant one so you know obviously with the break coming um you know we'll, we'll, by the time we race that hopefully he's uh, he's back training with the group <laughs>
0: uh, any pro- any injuries nah everybody's fine Oh, except james mccarthy who has a significant injury <laughs> which i just thought was jesus um everyone's uh put, um, everyone's fit with the exception of uh, mcgregor and mccarthy um, which is certainly a positive at this point in the season. Um, it's great to have CCV back. Would you be looking to get CCV and Starfield back together? I mean, we've only got these two games really before, obviously the break and stuff, but it's still important to get them kind of working together, I guess.
2: Yeah, uh, you want to, them to sort of rebuild that that partnership uh, as quickly as possible because it was really it was a really good base for us to build from uh, last season, especially second half of last season. And as we've seen with Starfelt, you know, when he comes back into back into the team or when he first joined, he does take a little bit of time to get up to speed. Um, I think those first few weeks, you know, he can potentially, you know, look a wee bit ropey. Um, I think when Starfelt's on it, I think he's a really, really good defender. I think he's very close to C C V in terms of his, his attributes and his ability, but you do need to build it back up he's not really had a proper pre season. I think that's maybe why he got Injured again uh, when we were playing Rangers, and you know maybe rushed them back too quickly. So we should manage it definitely. you know if Yen starts tomorrow night or Yen starts both the games, it's you know it's fine. We should have more than enough to to get by. Um, I think you know considering the the quality of the teams we're we're facing, but you do want your best eleven on the park, and you want to see those those players returning. You know I just think we look like a a much more assured team um, with Starfelt in there. Um, and look into the, the second half of the season. It would be nice if he came in, you know, played a couple of games or something, and then you know, once the once everything starts back up after the World Cup, then that's your go to center half pairing. Hopefully, for you know, right through until the end of the season.
0: Absolutely, um, good points. Um, Motherwell, uh, just uh, us uh, us play mother this season.
1: Hi Ange, um, played Motherwell twice already this season. First time was quite a close game. Second time. Ended up quite comfortable winners. Uh, what helped more in that second match? Ended up four nil, and, and how do you
2: ensure that tomorrow's game is more like the latter instead of the former?
3: Yeah, look, I mean, you yeah, you're just looking at scorelines, but if you look at performances, you know, if we take our chances, we we make the game more comfortable, and I think that's uh, um, what we've got to try and do tomorrow. Is just again, you know, play our football, and um, you know. Try and dominate the game, create chances, and, and take them. And um, you know, when we've done that this year, we've we've been uh, you know hard to stop. And um, you know sometimes there's been times this year we've dominated games, but haven't sort of converted that into goals, which allows the opposition uh, to stay in the game. But um yeah, from my perspective, like I said, all our performances have been you know, pretty strong through this period, irrespective of kind of you know, apart from the Samiran game, obviously where we didn't perform anywhere near our levels every other game. I think yeah we've been pretty consistent and uh, <clears throat> because of that our results have uh, reflected that
0: see that guy that asked that question right he he's at all the press conferences i don't know who he i think he works for that what's the one that like peter martin
2: peter uh, is it plz sport or something
0: i think he works for them or he might work for sky or somewhere but see the confidence he has Every time he asks a question, he gets batted away like a fly by Ange Postecoglou. But he's so confident. I really respect that. <laughs>
2: like just I play him. Take some balls to keep coming back for more after continually getting slapped down by Ange because I think if it happened to me once I'd just be you know, up the road, hand him my press pass and you know, That's leave. It. Aye. Yeah. It be for me.
0: Yeah, because when I was when I was at the presser in um in, in Poland, um it, he's he's an intimidating character. It really is. Um but I just I just love that sort of oh, I'm just gonna keep asking. That's fine. I've, I've made myself look like an arse a number of times. Here's here's another here's another example. Um the motherwell games this season, obviously the, the game at Celtic Park was a little bit was a little bit ropey. Um I think we we let them into the game too much. But the game at uh, for Park the last quarter final and in, in the League Cup Terrific. Um, before we obviously after this, we'll we'll talk about how how we're going to set up and stuff. But just Motherwell in general, what have you thought of them this season? Have you seen a lot of them?
2: Uh, outside of our games, and I think I've maybe watched them playing Rangers. Um, when they gave them a, a bit of a game and then sort of petered out later on. Yeah. Um, they don't look great. Um, you know they've got a, a couple of decent players, but I don't I don't really rate Van Veen up front. No. um no, oh, there's really nothing in there that you can point to and say there's a real bright spark there. Um, I I don't even think they're one of those stodgy, well organised teams. I think they they prefer to try press the game. And they, to be fair, they, when we battered them at Fir Park a few weeks ago, they nearly got some joy a few times out of pressing us. You know, um, there was a couple of hairy moments from Jens that we got away with, and you know, got through the press and then you know, really made it really made it count. Um so it'll be interesting to see tomorrow if they try double down on that because there's there were, were moments in that game where, you know, it could have flipped quite easily, especially in the first half before before we really pulled away. Um but there's nothing there's it's not like you know, Motherwell's sides of the of the past where going to Fir Park could be quite a sticky occasion um you didn't really fancy, you know, going there and you knew you knew it would be tough and tricky. You know, this Motherwell side from the the limited times I've seen them this season is, you know, I don't think they should pose too many problems. Um, but it's pretty much me saying that guarantees that we're dropping points tomorrow. <laughs> um,
0: I, I I think that McKinstry's quite a good player. I think he came through the Motherwell youth ranks and then he went to Leeds and he's he's been brought back on loan. But I think that Van Veen, he just looks like, I know he had a pretty good goal ruled off the other day, but he just likes looks like a, looks like a sort of, Early nineties cheap buy from like when there was money still in Scottish football, like a Christoph Cockard sort of guy. I don't know if you remember him. He plays for Comanac. Comanac played like eight hundred thousand pounds for him. He just looks a bit,
2: I don't know. He thinks he's a real footballer. He he's... thinks he's got a real touch on him, and he doesn't. And it all looks a bit awkward and laboured. But you see him dropping into pockets, and if you know, if I'm a mother fan, and you've got a big six foot striker. That is not where you want to see him popping up in the park. Not if, when you know, his touch is what it's like. Uh, but you can tell he really fancies himself as a real footballer, uh, and I've I've yet to see it from him.
0: It's like if there was a nuclear war and everyone was dead and he survived, and somehow the football came back, he still wouldn't get called up to the the Dutch squad.
2: <laughs>
0: Aye, um... <laughs> we are we are him, and he's definitely going to score <laughs> tomorrow.
2: But he's definitely scoring now as well, hat trick. <laughs>
0: Shit. Um, uh, clip number five.
1: And uh, just going back to what you, you were saying earlier about you finishing off nice and strong, two games until the break, it's currently a, a seven-point gap you've got at the top of the table. What what can that gap do for your confidence, given that you, you're going to have four or five weeks off? Can it give you extra confidence before returning after after um, the World Cup, or do you still just completely maintain on
3: yourselves. Don't look at the league table until right at the end of the season. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm not really sure what confidence. I
0: don't really know. I mean, we, what we this just, question is to us.
3: Our, oh. our focus is, is just to keep performing, and if we keep performing as we have been, then you know the rest will take care of itself. It's not a matter of you know taking confidence. We. Because...
0: I'm not even going to give that question any respect. Really, um, I'm, I, he sort of says seven point gap. Um, would is that good?
2: Yeah, you can tell he's not actually doesn't actually know what he's going to ask before he asks it, and it goes on and on and on. Occasionally you'll ask me questions on here and I've not got an answer <laughs> prepared, uh, and I've got flashbacks there listening to his question because he's clearly written down seven points, ask about that, and not actually <laughs> came up with a question to go with it, uh, which is fair enough. I mean, don't know what you expect times to say. Yes, seven points is good. We are all very happy. Thank you. I, I,
0: or, or, no. We're seven points clear and we cannot take confidence from that, unfortunately. That's not how it works. Uh, Jesus. Uh, Here is uh, clip number six. Yes, thank you. Um, Given Australia's participation and some of your players' participation in the World Cup, how much of the World Cup are you actually planning to watch?
3: Yeah, good question. Um, uh, Hopefully a bit, but um, you know, I've got a sort of six or seven day break in there, so... um, you know, I'm sure my wife will think of things for me to do, um, with the kids that will, uh, might interrupt my viewing schedule. So, um, yeah, but, um, look, I, look, I always take an interest in it. Obviously, um, you know, World Cup only happens every four years and, um, I yeah, haven't been there myself. Um, yeah, you take keen interest in it. And, uh, <coughs> so yes, I'll be, um, yeah, I'll be, uh, following as closely as I can, uh, without sort of neglecting my, uh, my parental duties.
0: And does this period give you more time to look at potential January business um, just with without the, the sort of uh, midweek games and weekend
3: games over the next few weeks? Um, no, no, not not more. I think, you know, like I said, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we're we sort of, you know, we've already sort of done our planning and kind of know what, what we need to do. So, um, but at the same time, you know, <clears throat> Obviously, we're going to be fairly sort of alert right up until the, the window opens. So um, it does give me time. But yeah, you know, the reality of it is, I don't do the bulk of that work. You know, the bulk of that work's being done by Mark Loyal and his department. And um, you know, I, I sort of come in at the tail end when we get the right ones we identify, <coughs> and then you know that's when I sort of get involved and. and and see, you know, which ones are going to suit. Um, so, that work continues to happen. Um, you know, from my perspective, I think, yeah, you know, what this time gives me a little bit of a, an opportunity, just to plan for for the rest of this year, and then probably, you know, next summer window rather than this January window. A lot of the work for the January window has sort of already been done.
0: That sounds really good. Like, <laughs> he's essentially what he said there was they've already. Essentially finished all the planning for this window. Um, now you don't know how much of that is just him, you know, running lip service, and how much of it is actually kind of already been actually processed and stuff, and him talking about the summer. You kind of take a bit of confidence from that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think we maybe read into or seize on those comments, you know, more so than other supports would, because you know it's been completely what we've lacked, you know, in recent years in terms of forward planning and, yeah. um, you know, even think back to letting Jeremy Frimpong go and scrambling about for a right back in January and ending up with John Joe Kenny on loan. Um, you didn't get the sense that the club had prepared for that eventuality, um, you know, and, and that's really, really important, especially, you know, when Andrew's speaking at the AGM, Um last week about you know needing to move players on and that being an, an an inevitable part of the sort of evolution of the team and as a football club um, but that to me then suggests that you've got players lined up and you're bringing them in and you sort of have that you know that Red Bull Leipzig model or uh, Red Bull Salzburg model sorry of you know the players actually already in the door for six months to replace the guy who you eventually sell for, for big money yeah, um, and that's what you want to be ran, by, ran like a a proper modern football club, you know, um, it's, it's definitely really heartening to hear, you know, the main concern then after is, you know, have, you know, if Ange goes and he gets an offer from, you know, a top English club or something and and moves on, does that process and that sort of foresight of of planning still exist? Is there still sort of the want for that in, in the club? Um, but, you know, for now and for the time being, um, it sounds definitely really, really positive.
0: That'll be for Paul Lambert to decide. Um, so Callum, don't, don't you worry about that. <laughs> um, um, World Cup, uh, he obviously is going to watch some of it. I thought that was quite a funny funny question and answer. Um, obviously, you're in Germany. World Cup fever happening over there. Is there a big interest in it? And what about yourself? Are you going to be watching it?
2: Uh, well I don't know surprisingly um, there's a real sort of anti-World Cup boycott the World Cup sentiment in a lot of places a lot of Bundesliga teams at the weekend uh, had banners protesting it Uh, I think Hertha Berlin had something like I can't remember It was 5,000 deaths for 5,000 minutes of football and um, there was a big one in Dortmund as well Um, you know five or six top teams uh, really coming out strongly against it um the owner of the the pub that CSC is in is uh, he's got a big sign up saying boycott Qatar and doesn't says he hasn't shown any of the games um they've really taken the sort of um human rights angle a lot more seriously than it feels like back in the back in the UK uh which is nice it's, it's heartening to to see it's definitely you know it's quite a noticeable difference and it would be great if there was more of that across the board um yeah, I mean, I think inevitably some of us will all end up watching it. I'm only going to watch an illegal stream, so it's all good. Um, good, yeah. That's me doing my part. Um, but no, I have. I don't think there's a real appetite for, for many people outside of the actual players uh, for this coming World Cup. I don't get that sense from speaking to people who love football generally. I, there's no real excitement. Um, I think it'll be a bit of a damp squib. Um and you know the the human rights issues surrounding it. You know, only compile uh, that feeling that I, I have no real interest in in watching much of it. If there's a game on or whatever, I'll occasionally pop it on the telly. But I'm not particularly interested uh, in it compared to if it was a summer World Cup or anything. And I kind of feel that that feeling has been reflected uh, across a lot of the a lot of the football football world, especially for. For fans, anyway.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I completely agree with you, man. Absolutely. Um, final uh, comment, clip, question. Um, and it's quite it's quite a good one.
1: I was speaking to Cameron carter vickers there about the you know the ability that Celtic have built up to go right to the very end. Um, obviously we saw against Dundee United, United at the weekend. How do you drill that into the players, and especially new players coming into the squad?
3: Oh well, look, I think, you know, we 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 said it, asked all out pretty early when I got here about the kind of football team we want to be and it's just it's just consistent messaging and the way we train and you know it's just <clears throat> you know players embracing the concept that you know our football doesn't change um you know in response to what's happening on the scoreboard so what does the scoreboard show you It shows you a score and it shows your time in the game and um we've kind of made our made it our sort of mantra not to ignore that and just play, you know, just play until they tell us to stop. And, um, as I said, it gets highlighted in games like obviously the weekend where, you know, we're, we're kind of down and we need to find a goal, but for the players, (coughs) our approach doesn't change. You know, it's not like we need to come up with a new tactic or go more direct. It's, it's who we are anyway. So they just put the ball down and play and, and. It actually happens on a weekly basis, but like I said, it doesn't get noticed because you know there isn't that dramatic turnaround but on any game you'll see us that in the last minute of the game we are still going for a goal, you know trying to attack the opposition, so we could be winning three nil could be winning one nil um, so when that happens, and you know that's your approach, the players just take it on board that that's who we are, and that's how we're going to be and um you know I've always felt. You know with all my teams, you know that's that's an asset for us it's 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 a challenging way of playing for sure, and sometimes you may get unstuck but um for the most part, it just means that in that moment when we conceded the goal, the players didn't have to look to me for a solution um, The solution exists right before them they knew they knew what they had to do. <laughs>
0: Very existential sort of uh, answer there the solution exists, and you just you need to find it um It's good points though you know and I think it kind of kind of puts out the the philosophy that you know we keep coming back to Andrew's philosophy about never stopping and stuff and you know I, I think at the weekend he mentioned it and he, and he, as I think we mentioned on the agenda, he did kind of cringe a little bit the fact he had to say it because it has become a catch all catchphrase for him um but so many last minute goals, so many points at this season where it looks like we've lost it, but we've dragged it back. You know, it's it really is encouraging that they do go to the last minute, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it's brilliant. I mean, it's you know some of your favourite Celtic memories are always come from the, those types of goals in those situations, and this Ange team's already given us you know a lot of them in the, in the past year or so. Um, I mean, it was inter- it's interesting to hear you know how you speak about it because it does take a lot of sort of bravery and resolve to continue playing playing like that, you know, I think a lot of us, you know, plenty of people listen to Cynic and so on, like you think of as, you know, fairly open-minded to, to you know, modern football and new tactical ideas and so on, but, you know, when it was getting to those final two minutes of when we were playing Leipzig a few weeks ago and we needed to go, I would shout and get it in the fucking mixer. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it was really frustrating me that we weren't and... Um, it didn't come off that night, but more times than, than not, it probably will for, for us, especially domestically. But to have that sort of patience and resolve and, and bravery to continue to try to move the ball and do the right things and to really believe in that, I think it's really interesting. to. I'd, I'd love to see, you know, on a day-to-day basis how that is drilled into, into the players, because it must be constant, you know, small messages being reinforced. Um, and it takes, you know that real bravery and that real commitment to Angel's philosophy when you've got sixty thousand people screaming at you just to go along or launch it, which is a perfectly natural, normal reaction when you've got limited time left. Um, but to continue trying to trying to play that way. Um and, you know, the payoff when it does come and it's happened plenty of times. So, you know, Ange knows a lot more than than all of us about about football, but the, the payoff is, you know, so worth it. You know, those those moments, those those feelings that you get when you've snatched a late winner. Um, you know, your high's a kite for the rest of the day and the, and the rest of the weekend. Um so no, it's it's really enjoyable that this team has that has that trait. You know, it was one of the few enjoyable traits of, you know, previous teams like Gordon Strachan's team. And that they would always keep going and find a way to win late on, um, and it feels like you know that that muscle memory thing, not only for us but for other teams. I think they, there's a real doubt in the back of their mind that they know no matter how late it is that we can still pop up with with a goal. And I could think you see them dropping deeper and deeper because they know that's a potential outcome. Um, so it's a great weapon for us to have in our arsenal, definitely. <laughs>
0: So, uh we found uh, out who's available. Uh we know the kind of stakes uh with uh, it being at Fur Park. Uh you've been at Fur Park a number of times, Callum. Um for people who haven't, kind of can you describe what it's like as a as a ground?
2: Uh I mean I've had some great, great memories at Fur Park and some absolutely terrible ones. I was there on Black Sunday and um that was grim. Uh and there's always, if you you know, the stand behind uh, the goal, which I can't remember the name of. It, um, there's always a good bit of back and forth between that and the little motherwell section down down by the corner flag, which does add to you know those are the little moments that you don't really see on on camera when you're watching it, you know, in a pub or at home or whatever. But there's always a, a decently bit of needle. Um, I think we've always gone there and, you know, quite often played some great great stuff. Um, you know, some of my favourite Celtic team goals seem to always always happen there. I remember Paul Lambert and I think Jackie McNamara, you know, going going a few years back, scoring some wonderfully worked team goals there. Um so but it's always been a fairly happy hunting ground for us, you know, the odd sticky patch, but a lot of big, big moments. Um one of my favourite ones was I think we went there twice. Uh, and the 2008 season towards that run of games at the end when, um, you know, just after Tommy Burns had passed away, uh, you know, George Samaras definitely popped up with goals and I think maybe both of the games and there was just that real feeling of, uh, you know, the fans being really reunited. It was the first time I remember the... We love you, St. Pauli chant sort of really kicking off. Yeah. Um amongst the the support, and there was a real feeling that the there was a change in the support that season, I think, as the sort of Green Brigade's influence sort of grew. Um and I thought you know, that was that was just when I first started really going regularly to away games as a supporter. And um, I was just, you know, have some really great memories of a really exciting time for part was always a good one to go to because um you know, it was an easy one to get tickets for that and rugby park were the with the two that you could you know, you could guarantee yourself a ticket no matter what your away record pretty much was. Um so what those were some of the easiest to get to and the first you go to and it's the first time you really start sort of start to sample that that atmosphere, um, which is different from Celtic Park um so yeah i've got a lot of fun memories um from from going there and one fairly bad one but we'll gloss over that <laughs>
0: we'll gloss over that one um have you got any fears you know we've <clears throat> we talked about like kind of uh what we can maybe expect from other world well, you got any fears coming into this game or is it a case of just if Celtic turn up and do their business uh we should have enough
2: yeah i think the only fear is complacency with that seven point lead um I think now over the next two games, you really want to ram it home, um, take as many points, you know, take all six points and then hopefully they they slip up in, you know, one of their two games. Um, I think it's a real opportunity because they're vulnerable at the minute and you yeah. don't want to give them, you know, even the slightest glimmer of hope that they could get, get back into it. Um, I mean, the only potential upside of that is maybe they keep their manager for another few months, but I don't want to even, you know, I don't want to even leave that to, to chance. Um, I think these two games coming up are a, a real big opportunity to send us into the World Cup break, you know, in a really, really strong position to, to go and win the league in, in the second half of the year.
0: Yeah, I, I think so too. And I think, you know, if we do, hopefully, fingers crossed, win these two games, and even if it is just seven points, um you can really enjoy that break and just kind of really refocus for, for the second half of the season. Um, so obviously, well, you know, we talked about changes and such, uh, we talked about on the agenda and stuff about, you know, and seems to really make a lot of changes when he, when he deems it's necessary. How would you line up, um, for the game?
2: Um, Joe Harton and goals. Uh, I think Greg Taylor definitely starts. Yeah. Um, I thought it was really good when he came on at the weekend as well. Um, for me, I, I'd like like to see the sort of original two centre backs of Starfield and CCV right back. It's a weird one that I don't even think Juranovic was in the squad at the weekend. Um, I don't know. I've seen a few rumours about him potentially being away in, in January and. I don't think he started a league game in about five or six games. It's all been Anthony Ralston, which I was quite surprised when I checked that at the weekend. Um, he's having a
0: he's having a jolly old time on Instagram, I tell you.
2: Seeing <laughs> <same laughs> that, I, um, well, as long as he's enjoying himself or he's getting paid something <laughs> like twenty grand a week or whatever, so he can only turn up in Champions League games. Uh, for me, United starts if he's always, um, yeah. yeah, I think he's the, the better player. But I think Ralston is more than fine for for these games if he does need to fill in. Um, I think your midfield three, you know, Hatate uh, and O'Reilly pick themselves at at this stage, and then you've got the choice of Moy or Turnbull. I know Ange said that you know he won't give it too much concern for players going away for the World Cup, but I don't know if I don't know if that's actually true. Privately, I think he'll be well aware of the significance of the World Cup to players personally, and you know. He's, you know, he's not only their, their football manager; he knows them on a on a day to day basis. Um, so I think we will see Turnbull and Moy rotate over the next two games. Whether that's Turnbull in tomorrow night and then um, Moy at the weekend, or, or vice versa, we'll see. Yeah, I thought Turnbull was okay at the weekend. I didn't think he was. Um, didn't think he was terrible. Uh, Would be quite happy for him to see him in there again. Um, and then up front, I think you have to go Kyogo. Uh, I think he'll be on a real high um, after that goal at the weekend. And I thought, you know, he played really well there last time and didn't quite get his rewards yeah. uh, in the first half. You know, he was unlucky with a few chances. He eventually got his tapping towards the end. Um, Jota, absolute stick on. Um, and then it's a it's a tough one because... Abada, again comes on at the weekend, scores a fantastic goal. He was great there in the League Cup last time. Yeah. Um, you know, some moments of real quality, but you know, you don't know which Abada you're getting. You know, if you could guarantee that, you know, be one of the first names in the team sheet every week, but you don't know if you're getting the you know, free flowing goal scoring Abada or the Abada that can't trap a football. Um and I thought Haksabanić, you know, again did himself no harm at the weekend. It was nice to see him get get finally get his get his goal. Um, and I think going forward, Haksibanovich and Jota are probably your two best wide options, albeit they sort of probably would prefer to play in the same position. But I don't think it was terrible at the weekend. I think there was there's bright sparks between you know between them both. Um, I'd quite like to see that that again. Um,
0: <clears throat> any fears from a V A? Our point of view?
2: I hundreds of them. <laughs> um, it's not a nice experience watching football. Uh, I find myself a lot more anxious watching games in the short period of time watching them, uh, unless Celtic are two or three goals up. Um, because, you know, pre VAR, Celtic are a goal, goal up, seem to be controlling the game. You can be fairly relaxed about it. Uh, Var to me adds in another element of you know things could change out of nowhere uh, as we have seen at the weekend. Um, I, I, I think it will eventually get better and stop being used so much. I think it will, you know, I do think overall we'll constantly have problems with it because of the the standard of officiating that we've got uh, within the league. Uh, well, I, th- I think it will. Those teething problems will get better. The the weight absolutely kills you. Um, you know, there must have been six, seven minutes in that first half alone uh, at the weekend. that yeah. wasn't reflected when it was added on and it really kills the momentum of the game and it, it doesn't make for a great spectacle, like Anne said, after uh, after the match. So I think for the next few months, is going to be, you know, constantly there as a nagging thought in the back of your head of, you know, it could flip at any moment and, you know, it doesn't really matter how in control you are unless you put it out of sight. Uh, and remove VAR from the equation, then it's always potentially there to trip you up.
0: Yeah, <clears throat> it's just a bastard, isn't it?
2: <laughs> I, I'm not a fan. No, it's, no, it's kill, it completely kills those brilliant moments um, of, you know, sort of like real spontaneous joy. Um, and then you're looking around and stopping yourself after a couple of seconds of celebrating, checking that, is he actually on side or whatever? And that's not what you want to be doing. You want to be enjoying the moment. Um, and I'd, I don't think many football fans would feel, you know, all too differently about that.
0: Uh, final point. Uh, prediction. Give me a prediction.
2: I'm um, going to go three now. Celtic. Um, I thought eh, we were really good there last time. The surface is a lot better than it, you know, traditionally has been. Um, so I think it's a place that we can go play football and take confidence from that last result so hopefully 3-0 win send us into the weekend uh, with you know one really you know final big game massive push to go in with this near perfect record and keep the gap at, at, least, at least 7
0: Absolutely, great stuff Callum, really appreciate it <coughs> um, it's been an absolute joy uh, speak to you very soon sir Thank you very much for having me, really enjoyed it Thanks to Callum Gordon, thanks to Christian Wolf. I'm Chris Gallagher, uh, and we will have a reaction straight after the game tomorrow against Motherwell. This has been the preview, and I will speak to you down the road.